Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi, and welcome to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm Marie Stella, your host from Melbourne, Australia. Let's start the show. Welcome back to Self-Improvement Atlas, the Personal Science Insights Podcast. Today, we're having a look at banking products, which as usual with every other finance-related topic, I have no prior knowledge of whatsoever. So we're learning together in this one. Banking and Finance Professor at UNSW, Dr. John Paul Monk, is graciously spending his time with us to highlight how banking products can be useful in our personal growth journey and how it can help us achieve financial independence. Hi, John, uh, JP. Uh, It's so great to have you on the show. How are you going? Thanks, Barry. Good, thank you. And uh, thank you for having me. Amazing. Um, So tell us a bit about your background and how you got started in this, um, how your interest in this sparked. Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, I guess uh, prior to the uh, financial crisis, uh, which is going back a little while now, 2008 uh I started out uh, in business and private banking uh, at the Commonwealth Bank. Uh, so had some first-hand sort of experience on that side, uh, which was kind of fun and fascinating. Uh, and then I fell into uh, regulation when I joined uh, APRA during the, the height of that crisis uh, and have sort of spent uh, a lot of time uh, studying and researching uh, various sort of aspects since then, uh, and has spent a lot of that time in uh, consulting capacities uh, and in the neo banking space as well. Uh, in addition to teaching in the field uh, more recently, that's great. Do you like teaching now? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Uh, keeps you on your toes a bit. Uh, so it's a it's a mix of undergrad and postgrad. So sometimes in the MBA programs and uh, some masters programs. Uh, so uh, it means there's a blend of practitioner uh, kind of uh, lived experience uh, as well as some of the theoretical perspectives. That's amazing. Uh, did you ever um, picture yourself teaching? Uh, probably wasn't something that I had on my plan, uh, certainly uh, as a student, but um, but it has been really enjoyable uh, as the opportunities came up. That's great. All right. So before we get started, we'd like to get to know you a bit better. Uh, this is, have you met Dr. John Paul Monk or as you like to be known as you like to be known as JP. So let's get to know JP. Uh, what is your favorite book? Uh, it varies. Uh, I guess um, uh, Existentialism is a Realism, I think, by uh, Jean Paul Sartre was probably one that was uh, really fascinating. Uh, but that's sort of deep into the philosophical kind of stuff. He has the same name as you. Uh, yeah, his is the the French spelling though, so it's a bit more exotic. Oh. <laughs> um, so what what's your favorite thing about this book? Uh, I think it just opens your mind to um, 
kind of a lot of depressing realities about uh, existence in some capacities, but then also uh, points out uh, the the need for uh, one's own uh, opinion or perspective on how they should live their life. Uh, and a lot of what he uh, kind of professed was around uh, this this notion of what it means to be free or to, to be independent, which is a useful kind of theme for what we're talking about today. That sounds awfully meta. We love depressing realities here. <laughs> Do you have a favorite film? Uh, again, it sort of varies a lot. Uh, I liked Fight Club uh, for similar sort of reasons for most of my youth. Um, and more recently, I thought June was pretty cool, but we're waiting for the second part of that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, do you have a favorite podcast? No pressure to say um, self-improvement atlas, but... <laughs> yeah, look, it probably is this one. Uh, I haven't really uh, got uh, addicted to that many, but um, yeah, this has been interesting so far. Thank you. I will take that compliment, but at the same time, none of my, none of my episodes have come out yet, so I can't actually receive that compliment. That's oh, right. <laughs> What's the what's the most recent course you have completed uh one was around i've actually just finished one in uh computer science so in python which was uh quite different to anything i've done before have you done coding before uh not a great deal maybe some html and some commodore 64 as a small child um so yeah it was terrifying but uh, quite fun <laughs> Amazing. Um, now moving on to the interview and getting to know all about banking products and how they help us in our personal development journey. First question, first and foremost, how do you define personal development? Uh, look, I think uh, there's a lot of different perspectives. So some of it can be about uh, your mind, your body, uh, your spiritual, uh, if you sort of swing that way. Uh, and then I think a lot of personal development uh, automatically gets pigeonholed into sort of career uh, stuff, you know, for, for most of one's working life. But I think uh, all of those aspects are uh, potentially equally important and some scream louder than others at different times in our lives. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think my perspective on personal development was always just like kind of soft skills and never really anything to do with career or finance in the first place. So, um, but it's absolutely part of one's personal development journey. Just it's also like learning how to be more responsible and that's definitely developing yourself. So I'm actually very excited to talk to you today. I know it doesn't sound like it because like who's excited about banking products, but you know, it's learning things and I enjoy learning things. So uh, yeah, but before I get sidetracked, <laughs> what are some of the main challenges in personal development in your opinion? Uh, I think uh, with a lot of aspects of personal development, you don't necessarily know what you're lacking, uh, you know, until it's too late or until it hits you in the face. Uh, and sometimes that's feedback from mentors or peers. Um, so I think it's the unknown unknowns that's the, the difficult one. Mm, true. How do you define banking products? What do they consist of? What do they look like? I mean, not look like, but like paint us a picture here. Huh. Uh, I think technically, I mean, you could take a different sort of route, but I mean, any product that's offered by a bank, technically speaking, is a banking product, I suppose. Uh, if, if you take the regulatory framework view, though, it's uh, the, the Banking Act would define it as 
the uh, taking of deposits and making of loans. Um, so in the strict sense, you know, those are the, the two fundamental sort of aspects. Uh, but that manifests in many different ways uh, and, and uh, different ways that people interact depending on their life stage. Uh, and, you know, credit cards used to be very popular amongst young people. They're kind of not cool anymore. Uh, we've had the, the buy now, pay later, which is not really a banking product, but uh, banks have certainly entered the space and it's kind of in that, that blurred line at the moment. So I think yeah, it's understandably uh, fairly confusing, or at least it should be to, to most punters. Uh, and you know, to what extent uh, crypto style uh, products uh, relate to that field as well is yet to be seen in many ways. So what are some of the most popular routes with banking products these days? Oh, look, I think uh, you know, once upon a time, uh, you'd get introduced through your school uh, to uh, some sort of uh, regular savings uh, plan, uh, which was really just a deposit account that you put uh, a dollar or two every week into. And then you learned about the, the magic of compounding interest in terms of, you know, your money growing from you doing nothing, which is great. Uh, that uh, I don't think is offered anymore. Uh, so that means that there's a bit of a gap. Uh, in terms of how do uh, young people in particular get uh, to understand, you know, how that all works. Uh, and apart from what uh, habits, I suppose, their parents pass down to them, which varies, you know, quite wildly between one household or another. Mm -hmm. So how can these banking products help people with achieving financial independence? And also feel free to add in any specific examples you might have. Yeah, look, I think uh, it's kind of like brushing your teeth. It can be like an incredibly boring uh, concept in its own right. And the product itself isn't going to solve, you know, many problems, but it's more about uh, how do you use that to achieve goals. So I think, um, and none of this is financial advice, I have to say for compliance reasons, but I mean, most uh, advisors would uh, tell particularly uh, young people who haven't really thought about it, you know, what are your uh, financial goals? And if you don't have any, uh, you know, maybe start thinking about what that might be. Um, and that's, uh, starting often with the most boring concept of all, which is having a budget, you know, whether it's weekly or monthly or whatever. And that's uh, determining how much uh, do you earn and then how much do you typically spend? Uh, and, you know, what kind of uh, life uh, lifestyle habits do you have or would you like to be able to afford? Uh, and that kind of gives you uh, some idea of what the gap is in terms of your goals with respect to income, uh, but then also challenging, you know, uh, to what extent do you really need certain goods or services on a regular basis? Uh, and can you afford uh, to save some amount? Uh, and of your savings, you know, how much of that do you leave in a deposit account that earns, you know, a minimal amount of interest? It's less than the inflation rate at the moment. Uh, and to what extent do you quote unquote invest? Uh, and in what sort of uh, way do you do that? And I think that's a really tough one, uh, particularly for, for young people who uh, maybe have thought about uh, finance in a theoretical sense, but uh, it's not like they can build a, a very expensive portfolio uh, from the ground up. So the options available to them uh, are fairly limited. So yeah, where do you start, I think, is the biggest sort of challenge to, to tackle. Yeah, that's a lot of factors to consider there. Um, but for people who have already kind of laid the groundwork with like, uh, how much, what's my budget, what are my expenses, what do I save every month, and so and so. What is the next step? Where do they go from there? Uh, I think it depends what your your bigger, like long-term life goal is. It used to be, and for many people it still is, uh, that we have an addiction with uh, property ownership in Australia. Uh, and that's a harder and harder goal uh, to reach for because uh, as a young person, you've got some sort of deposit that you've got to be able to save up. Uh, and that's the hardest part in terms of 
uh, you're probably early in your career journey, so you have a lower income with respect to what you will have later. Uh, you know, rents are increasing at the moment, so uh, it feels like an impossible goal to to get on top of. Uh, but I think using a combination of you know, setting aside some money and saving it prudently, which is great, uh, but also putting some at risk. So that might be uh, might be dabbling in the stock market. Uh, it might be uh, in uh, exchange traded funds or ETFs. Uh, some young people have gambled and succeeded uh, on crypto, whether it be Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever. Those are risky kind of strategies, but uh, but there are tried and true sort of ways that you could uh, you know more conservatively invest in something that's like a, an index related fund or something to that effect, uh, which over you know let's say a five year period, if your goal is to build up such a deposit, uh, will um, grow faster than simply you putting cash in your mattress or something like that. So they're all different uh, crazy ways to try and uh, do this uh, in a safe sort of fashion. But I think just having sensible kind of uh, foundations uh, to those plans uh, will certainly help in terms of uh, getting uh, a head start on the journey. Yeah, that all really does make sense. Uh, what's your biggest advice for people who might want to consider doing some of the risking that you just mentioned? Uh, I think do the research. Uh, and it's really hard because there are so many uh, differing sources. A lot of them are, are misinformation. There's lots of scams, like in terms of, uh, you know, if you put a thousand dollars here, then we'll turn it into 3000 because of some magical transaction that's going to happen. It's probably not. Uh, so I think always start with the principle that if something seems too good to be true, it most probably is, uh, almost certainly. Uh, but then at the same time, uh, you can seek, uh, financial advice as well. And I think, you know, you're never really too young for that. You don't need a $10,000, $20,000 financial plan either. I don't think uh, there are some options that are available that are a lot cheaper uh, that incorporate uh, elements of self-service, uh, but also uh, provide a lot of um, kind of financial education, uh, whether it be through videos, exercises, and other uh, bits and pieces, uh, just to uh, consider all of the aspects that uh, you have to take into account. And no matter where, you know, if you have any kind of uh, income from work, you will have uh, a superannuation uh, balance as well. That will feel extremely depressing because you've got 40 or 50 years before you'll even be able to think about touching it. But I mean, you should really start at the beginning in terms of, uh, hey, how do I ensure that I maximize my return on this? And I think if you're very early in your career journey, uh, you know, you have those decisions to think about, do I want to be in a you know, a cash or a balanced uh, portfolio, or do I want to think about uh, a high growth kind of allocation uh, for what uh, is going into my super? Because that's going to compound uh, over a very long time. And if you've got a long timeline uh, to accumulate and grow that, uh, then your risk appetite would be different than someone who's thinking about retiring in the next, you know, three to five years. Yeah, absolutely. And financial education, especially in this day and age, is so important. Uh, how how do you think? financial independence might support one's personal growth journey? Uh, I think it unlocks a whole lot of avenues because uh, quite often, particularly uh, earlier in, in life, uh, you have, I mean, everyone has unlimited wants, I suppose, whatever that happens to be, whether it's traveling the world, jumping out of a plane, uh, you know, buying a waterfront property or whatever it is. Um, or, you know, and some might just want to uh, give back to the, the planet that uh, gave their life to them. Uh, whatever that cause is, though, you can do a whole lot more if you have uh, resources available to you. And uh, if you're starting from scratch, that means you have to grow them from pretty much the ground level. Uh, but I think the more uh, education and the more uh, of a strategy you have uh, towards being able to do that, the greater your chance of being able to achieve those goals will be. 
so that means investing some time in what is inherently quite uh, technical uh, and quite you know soul destroying uh, in some ways to learn about. Uh, the more time you invest in that, just to know what all the options uh, uh, are out there, uh, is going to help in terms of being able to make better decisions. So, what are some strategies or methods you'd recommend to people? who want to achieve financial independence while maintaining personal growth? Uh, yeah, I think uh, it starts from the dismal science, I guess, being economics. Uh, so that is, you've got uh, constraints around what you you can afford right now. Uh, and it's from really practical steps in terms of, you know, what are free ways that I can obtain reliable information that I can use, you know, on my growth journey. Uh, and, you know, even a physical sense, uh, you know, do you need a flashy gym membership that provides you with, uh, you know, free towels and milkshakes and whatever else? Uh, or are there other ways that I can achieve the same goal? So I think even going down to a tin tack level of, you know, what is it that I enjoy from this activity? Is it that my friends are here or I have like an accountability group or whatever comes from that? Uh, and are there ways that, uh, you know, those friends can be intelligent and work together to achieve the same goals for uh, a lesser cost? So it means, uh, you know, for the uh, accountant, accountancy-minded people, uh, which is, you know, a certain flavor of human, uh, you know, they'll always be able to think about, uh, you know, how can I uh, achieve the same utility or goal uh, for a lesser fee? Uh, and that might be different subscription services. It might be binging on one thing and dropping it the next month rather than leaving all those things open at all times uh, and having multiple expenses running side by side. Uh, yeah, this isn't fun by itself, uh, but I think when you look at, uh, you know, how was I able to uh, retain, you know, more of my income from month to month? Uh, and, and always measure like your success relative to it. One thing is having a budget, but then the other thing is actually uh, looking back on, you know, July that just happened and say, well, okay, here's what I said I would limit myself to what actually happened. Uh, I think most people don't want to answer that question. Therefore, they don't ask it. And this is true of companies as much as it is of people. Uh, but I think that's critical to, to ensuring that you are on track. And if you're not, uh, then, you know, understanding what steps will it take to get there. Yeah, I'm going to be really honest. I am very guilty of that, of not wanting to ask myself that question. And also, like, all these subscription sites make it really, really difficult for you to back out now, especially, like, streaming sites. Because, like, if you share your account with a bunch of other people, you split the cost. It's like, you can't just for one month tell everyone hey guys i don't want to do this anymore see you next month you know that's kind of, that's not like the most polite thing so that's another thing to think about um yeah, yeah. i never really considered uh, shared accounts as a as a retention strategy but maybe secretly uh the streaming streaming services don't mind us so much because of what you just said yeah exactly i've been thinking about that a lot because i really don't use netflix anymore but I can't really say, hey, guys, find someone else. I'll come back in two months, you know. Um, <laughs> so what are some challenges that you've noticed people experience in their quest for financial independence? Uh, I think quite often um, people make poor decisions, as do companies, because they didn't really understand the decision they were making at the time. Uh, and this includes things like if you're considering taking out a personal loan uh, for uh, for whatever reason, maybe it's to buy a car, maybe it's for the technology you need, particularly while studying, uh, or even for income generating purposes, um, uh, or uh, a credit card product, uh, or something to that effect. 
uh, people don't understand uh, what it means to pay interest or what does it mean when you have uh, you know compounding interest and you know paying it off uh, say you've got 60 months you know what if you paid it off in 48 instead and then uh, apart from a comparison rate tool which says you know what is the the uh, the percentage that it's supposed to cost you uh, the small print is well you know that's uh, a specific amount over a specific term. So uh, you would benefit from uh, actually entering that into your own Excel sheet or trying to understand what is the total amount of interest I'm going to pay over that period. And if I paid you know, an extra 20 bucks uh, a month towards it, uh, then what is the minimum contractual requirement? Then you know, how much would I actually save over that period? So again, this is not a fun activity that you'd uh, instantly uh, gravitate towards doing. Uh, but if you do invest the five minutes it takes to perform that analysis, then uh, you'll sort of appreciate uh, how much that's costing you. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, if you have uh, a net sort of asset position, as in you don't spend much and you're, you're uh, contributing towards savings, uh, the corollary is uh, also the compounding effect of uh, interest that you're earning. Does it uh, actually, sorry, <laughs> does it actually take only five minutes? Oh, look, once you've done it a couple of times, yes. Uh, I think <laughs> look, maybe the first time, the first time you sit down with it, uh, it might be uh, frustrating and it takes a little bit longer. Uh, and this is where, you know, having a, a, an education tool or a website or, or even a friend who's uh, you know, more well-versed in it uh, to kind of help go through the first time. Uh, once you know how to feed yourself effectively, it's a lot easier to come back and use those same tools uh, again. So uh, putting that in a safe place, probably wherever you save your budget, and most people don't. So uh, starting with that in the first place uh, can be helpful. Uh, so that you can revisit this. Uh, you know, one of the most uh, depressing things you can do as well is, uh, you know, eventually think about life insurance. Uh, and you have to ask yourself the question, how much is it worth if I die uh, right now? Uh, because that's effectively what you're answering when you say, what size of a, a life insurance policy should you be taking out? Uh, and I asked myself that question, probably spent about an hour ruminating over it and thought, uh, okay, well, you know, here's roughly what I think I should set aside for that. Uh, and, you know, whether you have, uh, you know, a family yet, or you have a pet or whatever, uh, you know, if you haven't got a will, you sort of think, okay, well, if I died right now, uh, I guess uh, I'd throw all my stuff in the bin and uh, my corpse would be disposed of. Uh, you know, even your funeral uh, is is part of that. So this is where existentialism is a useful philosophy to, to start with. Uh, but the other thing as well is that most people don't understand that, uh, you know, life insurance, uh, or at least some death benefit is included in a superannuation policy. So even if you're pushing trolleys at Woolworths or Coles or whatever, uh, there's a good chance that something like a half million dollar uh, policy is attached to that. So if you died, then, you know, your parents or somebody would benefit from that amount. If you haven't nominated the person, uh, you know, that should be legally scary because you don't know whose hands that's going to end up in. Uh, but yeah. later on in your career and when you have dependents, you should be thinking about that even more. Interesting. I never thought this far into it. And now I feel like I'm solely lagging behind. Uh, and it's the same way I felt when we were talking about estate planning on a different episode. <laughs> well, Which, and you probably not. Yeah. Most people probably don't um, think too much about it. It's not something that you default to uh, until prompted. Yeah, it's really not, especially if you like whatever that you're doing or have studied or whichever industry you're in just really doesn't coincide with all of this. You know, it, it's like if you study law or finance, these things kind of just intertwine with what you're doing already. So you just naturally get indoctrinated and then you just start thinking about it. But for people who just that has never been a thing to talk about a day in their life 
that really isn't something you default to thinking about. Yeah, um, sure. And I think even lawyers or finance people probably don't. I mean, unless you're an actuary, so you're a very specific kind of finance person, then maybe uh, maybe you've thought about it. But even then, you've probably gone through all the joyful calculations for other people and you know didn't necessarily think about your own circumstances. That does give me some consolation and comfort. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, so how can banking products help us to overcome these challenges? Uh, like I said, I think the products probably don't help by themselves, but I think using them intelligently can. So uh, obviously, if uh, if you have a, a desire or a need for something in the immediate term, say you need a car to get to work so your income is is higher, uh, or you know you more reliably you can you can generate more income from multiple jobs or whatever, then that sort of justifies a case for well, if I take out a personal loan so I can afford an asset that I can't pay for with the cash that I've got in front of me, uh, then that enables me to earn more income. So I think generally that the use of debt is really important to to be cautious about. A lot of people, especially young people, have described. Uh, you know, the use of buy now, pay later as a, as a great way to fall into a trap of uh, future financial commitments that take away from your quality of life. Yeah, but thankfully, it's only within the next six weeks or so that you feel the impact of that. Uh, but if you took out, say, a $20,000 loan to go on a holiday, uh, you know, that feels great, you know, in the first instance while you consume that. But when you come home to having to uh, make repayments every month, you're really borrowing from your future self. Yeah, that's how you should be thinking about it. So why should you be doing that? Uh, if there's any reason whereby uh, your quality of life has improved or your income generated capacity has been enhanced by it, then those are good reasons to be using debt. Uh, and bear in mind as well that, as most people have learned, including mortgage holders, uh, the rate of debt can change. Now, sometimes uh, personal loans are on a fixed rate, so it means if it's 15%, it's 15% forever, and that's fine. Uh, but if it's a variable rate uh, loan, uh, that means that if the uh, central bank rate uh, goes up from 0.1% to 4.1%, which is what's happened fairly recently, uh, that means that your cost of debt goes up by 4% as well. And that can be pretty painful. And uh, it means that your monthly repayments go up. It means what budget you've got left over uh, has automatically shrunk by virtue of your commitment. Yeah, I don't own a house myself, but I do have friends who do. And it is so anxiety inducing, just like the fluctuation. And I don't think I could ever get there. And also about the uh, traveling thing, I don't think I could ever take out a loan of $20,000 to go on a holiday. That just sounds like a lot of anxiety for my for my future self. Um, so I'd rather not go on a holiday, but I don't, is yeah. that, do people actually do that? Ah, uh, look, anecdotally, there are all sorts of stories like this, and it doesn't have to be a personal <laughs> yeah. loan either. Uh, it can be a credit card. And remember, that's a product that uh, presumably you're using to pay for stuff with because it's convenient, uh, but ideally you're paying it off every month. Or if you can't afford to pay the whole thing off one month, you only carry it as debt for a few months. Uh, but people fall into the trap as well of uh, maxing it out. So if you've got a $10,000 limit and then uh, you know slowly your balance creeps up and then you hit pretty much the upper limit of it, then all you're able to do often is afford uh, the minimum interest repayment, but then you're in a debt cycle where you're paying probably 25% uh, interest, uh, you know, just to keep the card uh, there, so you, that you don't have a default on your credit file, which is pretty damaging. Uh, so in those cases, 
you know, often the cure is, well, if I can get a personal loan at 10%, that's better than uh, this sort of death loop that I'm in at 25. Uh, so at least I can pay off the card, potentially close it, uh, or at least promise myself and carve it in blood that I'm not going to spend more than I uh, am able to pay off every month. Uh, and then that personal loan commitment is uh, probably substantially cheaper. And then you've got a defined uh, time horizon that you're going to pay it off it because otherwise you can have an unsecured debt that's open forever uh, and that will take away pretty much all your ability both to save uh, but also to uh, obtain access to other kinds of credit like a mortgage. So in this age, is it actually helpful to have a credit card? Uh, it's not that bad. Uh, I guess it depends what you're doing with it. So uh, I don't know if you follow Steve Huey, the, the points whisperer, but uh, he's got a somewhat of a cult following. Uh, maybe of uh, Gen Xs and, and older Gen Ys to a large degree. Uh, but he teaches people how to uh, try to scam the banks in terms of how do you get as many points as you can uh, so that all of your travel can be essentially free. Uh, so uh, strategies like that can be useful because whether you use a debit card or a credit card, you're probably paying an interchange fee at a merchant. So it's going to be maybe it's 1%, maybe it's 2%. Uh, now, the point of those uh, points programs and whatnot is, uh, it, depending on what you use uh, that currency, if you see points as a currency to spend on things, um, that can actually be uh, a lot cheaper or more affordable than spending cash on things like holidays or even business travel from time to time. Uh, so um, I think using that uh, or turning that on its head can be quite uh, helpful. There are other ways that uh, you can... Uh, find uh, products that will give you uh, 2 or 3% cashback, for example, which is quite popular, maybe on some debit cards, but also uh, on credit card products. So it's really uh, acknowledging, uh, yes, I'm probably getting ripped off every time I transact, you know, using uh, a, a non-cash method. Uh, but is there some sort of deal whereby uh, I'm at least compensated for the expense that I uh, outlay on that? Uh, or if not, you know, should I just be using cash uh, to transact, which feels, you know, even more backward in, in this year and, and beyond? That, thank you so much for that. That makes so much sense. And I, not gonna lie, I still don't quite understand the entire thing, but I do have a clearer picture of what this means. <laughs> no, and I mean, there are even, there are um, some products whereby you uh, get a two or 3% uh, that's kind of cash back that gets invested on your behalf. So you actually earn and, and compile uh, an investment pool every time you spend. And I mean, like you have to spend on some things, whether it, even if you're, uh, never turning a light on in your house and you just live on uh, instant me goreng like I did in my undergrad days, uh, you know, you still have to spend some money. So at least if you can uh, minimize uh, your your transacting or your the, the friction uh, of those uh, costs uh, or get compensated somehow for it, then that's uh, helping you out to some degree. And that builds up yeah. over time as well. And unfortunately, instant me goreng is getting more expensive. So that's terrible. Um, yeah, it's it's horrible. It's actually horrible because it's not even one of my depression meals. It's just one of my like celebration meals. It's a comfort food, but it's not a depressing one. It's you know, it's it's something I would eat even if I have like a ton of money to spend. That kind. So that's quite that's quite sad. Um, <laughs> so what suggestions do you have for people who want to effectively manage their debt situation and use banking products or as you said before use banking products intelligently um, to improve their financial situation 
Yeah, I think it's very easy to fall into a trap uh, or even to deliberately sort of enter one. But uh, you find that um, the, the best rate in the market that you can find isn't necessarily the one that you signed up for. Uh, and maybe the one that you you signed up for at the time you know, made sense then and was the best one, but there are other products now that are cheaper. Um, you can always refinance, you can always uh, do a balance transfer, and you can always consolidate debts if you have you know three or four different kinds. Sometimes people get into a trap because they've got four or five different accounts, and then they've got you know these random sort of numbers that are being outflows to different places. And until you consolidate and, and add them all together, you don't realize what it's costing you, but you know that you, you, know, you always seem to be running out of money and you can't explain why. Uh, so I think you know going through that exercise of... Uh, adding that up and uh, recalculating what that is relative to your budget that helps to uh clarify you know a fair bit of that uh and debt consolidation is one way that you can uh kind of bring it all together in one place uh and then make it a more manageable and more centralized uh sort of thing and if you can get a better rate on that then that's much better for you uh as well uh i met a guy in the us once who uh bought a house that he didn't really want uh and got a mortgage against it uh because um Borrowing more than the house was worth, uh, but also paying off his student debt was better than uh, having a student loan by itself. But yeah, that's a place where you have uh, very uh, high balances on student loans and you're paying you know, 10, 15% on that amount as well uh, compared to the, the HEC system we have in Australia. So yeah, there are different situations for different people, but sometimes there's a left field or an, uh, a thinking out the box kind of way that you can uh, better yourself. Uh, again, if you understand what products are there, uh, and how can you sort of uh, bend that to your benefit? So again, it comes down to being aware of the landscape uh, because most often people are not. That's amazing. You really did a great job at making it feel more approachable. So thank you for that. So now we're going to move on to the practice slash habit section. This is where we ask you some questions about the everyday application of financial independence or banking products in this case. So what regular practice or habit can help enable financial independence? Uh, yeah, so I'm pretty sad in that uh, I'm a dual qualified uh, CA and uh, CPA. Uh, so there are spreadsheets for like everything. Uh, but I think one habit is to have uh, a, a monthly budget uh, spreadsheet of some kind where you set aside, uh, you know, what is your regular income? Uh, then in a separate column or however you want to organize it, uh, pivot table if you're so inclined, you know, what are all the expenses that you have uh, commitment to uh, and leave some sort of discretionary budget as part of that and then understand what's the gap in between. So what's the, the likely sort of surplus uh, and then try to estimate as well uh, annually, you know, do you have a, a tax liability? Do you get a refund? And if you, uh, you know, have a, a, a inflow, uh, you know, how do you sort of budget or allocate uh that uh, amount or that lump sum as well because there's a difference between your cash flow uh, and your income versus expenses and if you're out of cash that's when you can't afford to pay for stuff and that gets a bit uh, embarrassing or existential uh, so you want to be able to understand both of those things uh, personally so and are... <laughs> so what are three good things about this practice uh, well, the good things are, you know how much, uh, cash you should have left over at the end of every month. So, I mean, if you don't find that that's the case, then that's your prompt to say, Hey, what went wrong? Um, two, you know what your expenses, uh, total every month. Therefore, you know what, uh, what you cost, uh, to run as a thing. Uh, and three, uh, if you have a goal or a target or 
um, a particular thing that you want to commit to, but uh, you can't yet afford it, then you know how much you have to grow your income by in order to be able to, uh, you know, unlock that goal or achievement uh, or change in your lifestyle, which is useful for your career planning in terms of knowing, you know, what is it that you're looking for in your next move, maybe. And are there any challenges to doing this practice? Yeah, I think, like I said before, because it's incredibly boring, it's something that you're not going to do uh, by default. But I guess I, I described it as like brushing your teeth. Maybe it's also like exercising. Uh, once you do it the first few times, uh, it gets slightly less painful uh, and you start to see the benefits that uh, come from it. And then it just becomes part of what you do all the time. Mm -hmm. Did you ever find this boring at all? Or was it something that you naturally were able to get into? I think for the first decade that I tried, I thought this is such a pointless, mind-numbing exercise and I already know what my uh, income and expenses are because there's not that many line items. And yeah, that's probably true earlier on in life, uh, but you'll either realize it or not that life gets pretty hectic pretty quickly and it's really hard to stay on top of things. So uh, by doing what feels kind of medial in the first instance and setting up that framework, uh, as your life gets more and more hectic, uh, you'll find that you can still be organized uh, because you've got it in that framework. Were there any things that you did to make it more fun? <laughs> uh, not really. I mean, maybe really sadly, I might have experimented with, uh, you know, the donuts or pie charts that made it look kind of interesting. Uh, so that would automatically populate every time you did it. I am aware that there are some budgeting tools now that are a bit more gamified. So you'll get some uh, some high fives or claps or celebration things fall off the <laughs> off the screen so you know maybe that's uh empowering for some people but uh personally doesn't make shift the dollar much for me <laughs> i i'm gonna be honest here once again i feel like i'm a moth to the flame of fun things um amidst boring tasks so i i i like the sound of visualizing all of that data I really like the sound of that and I might try it now. <laughs> um, so how do you set us, how did you start setting aside the time to do it in the first place? Uh, it's probably got more uh, ingrained when I had to. So uh, you know, when I had an ABN and I was doing some small business stuff as well, you have the obligation to actually capture that and report GST. I chose quarterly. You can do it uh, annually if you prefer uh, so you have to, um, so that's a really great motivator, uh, to, to actually going and doing it. But on a personal level, even though you don't, uh, it's a good practice to get into it so that you can, uh, easily kind of answer, you know, can I afford this thing? Yes, no. Uh, and, uh, to manage kind of what discretionary things you can, uh, do rather than looking back on your, uh, end of month or your credit card statement and thinking, gee, what have I done? Cause that's, you know, not particularly ideal. I'm now thinking maybe I should band together a bunch of friends who are in the same spot as me with this and just sit down and do it all together and maybe that will make it a bit more like oh we are hanging out and doing our budgets at the same time sure uh, i mean people can be uh really uh defensive or uh, embarrassed about it sometimes but you could give it a go and even if you don't share your screens <laughs> with each other uh, at least you've kind of committed to doing it in the same group yeah, I thought that was a great idea. So I think I might go along with it, but I don't know. I don't actually know how many people are going to say yes to this. I don't I think worth it's a shot. very. Yeah, I don't think it's a very very agreeable activity, but I will definitely give it a shot. Um, and based on your experience, 
do you have any other recommendations of a similar kind of practice that you would combine with this? Uh, yeah, I think uh, finding uh, self-help tools that are out there um, can help to um, kind of consolidate that and ask you know more uh, uh, deep questions around you know what is your uh, personal uh, risk appetite, your investment philosophy, uh, your lifestyle preferences, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, it feels kind of like a combination of uh, of weird Facebook surveys, which I guess it kind of is, but having that all in one place and some of those tools can connect to your bank accounts and actually play back to you a lot of those visuals so you don't have to build them uh, yourself from scratch. Uh, so one of those is Life Sherpa, which is uh, an online tool that uh, enables you to do that. Uh, I think there's a free version. There's also a subscription service that comes with that. Uh, so things like that can be quite helpful just to paint the picture a bit more broadly uh, in terms of knowing you know, what are... Uh, your goals, your current situation, how you've got to here, uh, and also more importantly, where you want to get to and uh, what aspects you need to uh, enhance. Because I guess two ways you can do it. One is you cut expenses. The other one is uh, you either get a side hustle, a promotion, or, or some other job uh, that pays you know a higher rate after tax somehow, uh, which enable you to uh, reach your goals faster. Now we're moving on to questions from the audience. We have to today, the first one is, what should we prioritize in our mid-20s to lay the groundwork for early and financially comfortable retirement? Uh, yeah, I think mid-20s is an interesting time because you've probably got a, a decent kind of income and you know, for the first time you can feel like, you know, I can afford a whole bunch of stuff I couldn't, uh, particularly while I was studying. Uh, I think uh, the first bit of advice is don't. Uh, like even though you can, um, if you can hold out and and uh, delay uh, some of those uh, wants, particularly consumption related uh, to some degree, uh, that would be useful. Uh, or two, if you can't, then at least find uh, a cost-effective way of satisfying that need so that you can uh, hang on to uh, more of your wealth if you can. The other one would be uh, learn uh, how to invest really, really early. Uh, so that means, you know, even though it's a meaningless amount, it might be like a hundred or a thousand dollars that you're playing with. Uh, say you want to go uh, learn the stock market and, and that that's your jam and you want to use that as your primary tool for growing your wealth for the next 10, 20 years or, or whatever it is. Uh, the, the better that you get at uh, timing your buys, your sells and looking at a portfolio and kind of you know feeling good, bad or indifferent about it, uh, the better because I think the later on that you do that in your life, uh, the harder it is to to undertake good habits. Time is a limited resource what should we invest our time in, irrespective of age, for the best returns? Uh, it's a good question as well. I think um, when it comes to that, uh, planning is more valuable than you think. Uh, so whilst uh, it's much easier to find a quick fix and then rush into it, uh, I think stepping back and, and seeing the whole sort of landscape and investing the time to know what yeah, is out there and, and what could you potentially be doing with it uh, is a great place to start. Uh, once you've built uh, those good habits and, and have invested that initial sort of time, like I said before, uh, coming back and revisiting it is a really quick exercise and you can rely on the good work that you've already done before. That sounds like a lot of work that I have to do overall. I'm just thinking about it all now, but I guess just taking the first steps, the mini steps is going to make it feel more approachable and I will do it when I get home, I promise you, I will not let you down. 
Well, now we're moving on to the open mic section and this is your chance to talk about anything you're passionate about that doesn't have to be related to the topic if it can be related to the topic if you're really passionate about it that's fine i'm not going to hold you back you're passionate about what you're passionate about you know so take it away john Sure. Uh, look, I think uh, you know that broader uh, theme of independence uh, is probably uh, you know relevant to it. So I think um, financial independence unlocks, uh, like I said before, the the opportunity to afford the lifestyle that you want to have. Uh, but that's in a broader framework of you know freedom in terms of uh, spending your time how you want to, uh, having you know flexibility around the kind of work you do and where and when you perform it. So I think. Uh, that needs to be taken into account uh, as part of a bigger picture. So uh, in terms of uh, if you're working 80-hour weeks to just barely afford uh, the budget, you know, that achieves the lifestyle that you currently uh, think you enjoy, uh, you might want to question that as well and think, uh, you know, and there's articles about uh, the, the so-called lazy uh, careers and so forth where you can have uh, an easy job that takes uh, 30, 40 hours a week and then do some other side hustle that you really enjoy or that you're actually passionate about. Uh, again, you can probably do that earlier in your life than you think. Uh, most people would think, okay, I'll do the boring career thing till I'm like 50 or 60, uh, and then I'll have paid for a house, had children or whatever else that I wanted to do with my life, but then I'll have enough cash stashed up that I can open that cafe or do that other crazy thing that I always wanted to do. Uh, but the fact is, if you're just starting that when you're in that life stage, it's pretty hard. And it's uh, starting any venture is going to be uh, you know, a hundred hours a week and the hardest slog that you've uh, ever sort of imagined. And I think what's really cool is there's a lot of young people who are entrepreneurial minded uh, and they're able to spend, you know, a few hours a day or a week or whatever it is um, to try out a dumb idea and see what happens with it. And some of them have turned into uh, actual you know, massive uh, listed companies or businesses that uh, would never have got off the ground if someone didn't just have a go at something kind of random. And I think getting to a point where uh, you can actually drop your day job and then focus on doing that other thing, you know, and it's not for everyone, but if that's what uh, you're into, uh, you know, that's a pretty empowering thing because then you get to spend uh, your life your way. Uh, although I say that uh, it's a bit contradictory because if you do go into uh, trade and commerce uh, as an individual, you're probably going to spend uh, more of your time doing it and you'll feel nuts uh, for doing so. But uh, some people find that that's more empowering than anything else that they could do. But if that means even freeing up time to, uh, you know, to exercise more, to eat better, or, or to do stuff, you know, at home or independently, you know, or to take care of other people, for example, you know, then those are all ways that uh, you'd only be able to spend your life that way um, if you had sort of planned it. Uh, so I guess in the same way that uh, I just talked about budgeting finances and using, you know, various sort of products within the industry to, to help uh, empower that life journey, uh, I think before you even do that, make sure that that's the life journey you want to be on in the first place. You should also budget your time, right, in terms of what am I actually spending it on? What do I want to do with my, uh, my life in the long run? Uh, and am I allocating that time? accordingly? Or am I neglecting a whole lot of things that are really important to me because I'm trying to hit some goal that I think is important, uh, but actually I've got my goals wrong. So I think going back to the the core, the heart and soul of, you know, what are my actual uh, life goals and what do I want to achieve when I am six feet under or uh, burnt up and ashes flying around or whatever it is that you choose to do with yourself. Um, I think it's important to, to think about that bigger picture. Uh, and I guess that starts with the existentialism I referred to at the beginning. That's so interesting how you tie finance in with existentialism, which is really something that I never, I I just never had that 
perspective. So I found it really interesting that you did that. And it honestly made me feel a bit more engrossed in the subject, if that even is a phrase that I can use. Is that is that something, does that accurately, yeah, it, it does make me feel more engrossed in the subject because I really, like, finance to me is like just numbers and the way you just tied it in with philosophy and existentialism makes it very interesting and engaging to me. Uh, so I really like that. And it, I think it's amazing like how different people view what empower, empowerment is. Um, yeah. So thank you so much, JP, for enlightening us today. Um, it was a very, very fun chat as much as it, like it's it's not even sarcasm. Like I actually really enjoyed listening to it. Um, particularly the way you tied in once again the way you tied in finance with existentialism. Really something that I I never thought I'd hear. Um, so if our listeners want to find out more about you and what you do, where can they go? Uh, the only platform I'm on is LinkedIn, so uh, you just keep it consistently boring. But uh, happy to uh, to connect and share other ideas, of course. LinkedIn. All right. We'll put it down in the show notes. Um, thank you so much, JP, for your time today. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We will catch you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Self-Improvement Atlas, the Personal Science Insights Podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pe.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Marie Stella. Thanks for tuning in.